Good morning again. We are continuing our study of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read in just a minute, but I'd like you to turn there. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 16, verses 10 through 14, so you might want to turn there, and in a minute we will read that. We have been in this series called Truth for the Troubled Church. Um, We have been in it for some months now. In fact, a year and a half, we at Valley Bible Church, we preach expositionally. Uh, That means we preach through books of the Bible and we go through passage by passage by passage. And so we've been in this study, Truth for the Troubled Church, for uh, I think we began uh, uh, January of of 2020. Um, All churches are troubled. Every church is. Um, Corinth wasn't the only church in the New Testament that was troubled. In fact, all of the letters written to churches in the New Testament were written to correct some problem that was going on in those churches. But we teach and we preach expositionally because we believe the words of Jesus who said to his father the night in which he was betrayed in that great high priestly prayer, he prayed, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And we believe that. Um, No church is perfect. Valley Bible Church is not perfect. That's why we preach through the Word of God over and over and over again. And the lessons of the New Testament letters are just as applicable and fresh today as they were in the first century churches. So all churches share something in common. We are imperfect. We are all troubled. And um, we can learn from the troubles of the Corinthian church. So if you would... Uh, If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 10, would you please stand as we read God's word this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 10 through 14. Please give attention to the reading of God's word. Now, if Timothy comes, see to it that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, so also I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And God's people said, Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for the Word of God, and we pray that we would understand it. We pray that we would know it and believe it, but that we would live it as well to become like your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would sanctify us with truth, for your Word is truth. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning, since we're talking about truth to the troubled church, Paul lays out for us truth regarding spiritual leaders, truth regarding spiritual leaders in verses 10 through 12. And he talks about Timothy and he talks about Apollos and Paul is bringing the book to a close. We're not going to finish it today. Next week we will. But now he has some final exhortations for the church. Next week, we're going to see he brings greetings to various people with a couple of exhortations as well. Normally, in the letter that we would write, we would greet people at the beginning, but in the, in the, the form of the day, he will greet people at the end. 
But he is going to give us a couple of lessons here. And the first is uh, some truth about spiritual leaders. And the first is about Timothy. And he says this in verses 10 and 11. He says, now if Timothy comes, and I know many of your uh, versions might say when Timothy comes, and that's really the idea. Um, he has already said, mentioned Timothy once before in, in the letter. In fact, in, in chapter 4, verse 17, he said, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere and in every church. Chapter 4, he said, I've sent to you Timothy. And now in chapter 16, he says, when Timothy arrives, whenever he comes. So Timothy's not there yet. Timothy has not arrived on the scene. I don't believe that Timothy was the one who brought the letter to the Corinthians. It was someone else. But he's on his way. And, and Apostle Paul says three things. He says, see to it that you don't cause any fear. Let no one despise him. Send him on his way in peace. When he comes, see to it that he is without cause to be afraid. Why would Timothy have cause to be afraid when he comes to the church in Corinth? Because, as he said in chapter 4, verse 17, when he comes, he is going to remind you of my ways that I teach in all the churches. Many of the words that the Apostle Paul has given to the Corinthians in this letter have been very strong. And there are some people in Corinth who don't, or who are really not fans of, of Paul. And so they might take it out on Timothy. You know, don't shoot the messenger type of thing. And that may be exactly what he's talking about. Don't, if you have problems with me, don't take it out on Timothy. Um, Timothy, by the way, just a, a quick biopic, and we'll talk more about Timothy when we get to the book of First Timothy, which will not be long from now. Timothy was... Um, uh, someone whom uh, Paul chose specifically to follow him and to take him on ministry journeys. He met Timothy um, in, uh, first mentioned in Acts chapter 16 in, 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 in Lystra, and he was a young believer, a young convert to Christ, and he was well spoken of by the believers in the area. So in Lystra and Iconium, Timothy was a disciple who was walking with the Lord, and we know that he was young. We know that he was young when Paul chose him because now at this particular time, Paul is writing 10 years later in 1 in Timothy, um, he's going to say this to, to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, conduct love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Timothy was young when Paul called him, and I think he was probably in his early 20s. Who knows, maybe even younger than that. Ten years after he writes to the Corinthians, he's telling Timothy, hey, look, you're still young. Don't let people look down on that youthfulness. He's either young still, and he may be young looking, some, like some of us. Yeah, we just kind of look young. Yeah. And uh, he may have had you know, a baby face. I don't know. We know that he was also sickly. It's possible that people took advantage of him because of his youthful appearance, because of his age. And uh, people maybe uh, were going to take their dislike of Paul out on Timothy. But he's telling them, he's warning them, don't you dare give him a cause to be afraid. He's looking out for this young man because he's doing the Lord's work just as I am. 
In the same way that I'm doing the Lord's work, Paul says, so is Timothy, so you need to, to regard him in, in such a way. The second thing he says is do not let anybody despise him. Almost the same language that he used in First Timothy where he said, let no one look down on or despise your youthfulness. And then he says, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren He's expecting him to come back with mission accomplished, and he wants him to come back in peace. We don't think that that happened because Paul has an unexpected uh, journey to Corinth, and, and, and things blow up in Corinth before he writes the next letter. So they probably did not heed these words. But Timothy was this disciple who was well spoken of. He was young. The letter has strong words. Ten years later, he's, uh, he's still young. Some may have taken him serious, not taken him seriously just because of his youth. But then he turns to Apollos. And he says, but concerning Apollos, our brother, and, and, and I, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Notice a different language. Uh, when he talked about Timothy, it was an exhortation to them. Now it is an explanation as to why Apollos is not there. In fact, when he says now concerning, this is wording that Paul has used throughout the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. In fact, he's used it, this is the sixth time, and when we know specific uh, 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 points that Paul was answering back in uh, chapter 7, verse 1, he says, now, now concerning the things about which you wrote, wrote to me, now concerning, now concerning, now concerning. He spoke of now concerning things sacrificed to idols, now concerning spiritual gifts, now concerning the collection of the saints, and now he says, now concerning Apollos. They probably wrote back to him and said, hey, we like Apollos. He's a nice guy. He was part of the clique, right? Part of the cult of Apollos. Send him. We, we want him to come. You don't need to come. Just send us Apollos. But they're on the same team. And when they hear the name Apollos, they're, they're thinking of the beginning of the letter. Remember the beginning of the letter when he said, uh, I've heard from uh, Chloe, Chloe's associates that there are divisions among you because some are, some are saying, well, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Peter. Well, I'm of Jesus. Those are the really spiritual ones. And you have these spiritual cliques. And so they would be reminded of this. By the way, when they read this letter, they would have read it all at once. It's been a year and a half since we talked about Apollos. They would have been foremost in their mind. Paul had just said this minutes earlier. And one of the things that he said was this in chapter 3. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. He, he's speaking of Apollos as a peer. They are on the same level. Timothy, on the other hand, is someone whom he sent he didn't direct Apollos. He urged him. He encouraged him. And he said, I encouraged him over and over to come because Paul probably thought that that would be the best thing. Hey, you've got people there. They're going to listen to you. Maybe you can smooth things over. Maybe you can explain it. 
Apollos made his own decisions. He was, he was his own man. He prayed about it. He sought God's leading and God's truth on the matter. And he decided this is not the right time. I will go at another time when I have opportunity. He will come when he has opportunity. So he really wanted to come. And yet, he did, in his own wisdom, he decided that it wasn't time. So Paul entrusted Timothy with a responsibility. Timothy, you go. You're a follower of me. But he, he trusted Apollos to make his own decisions before the Lord. There was no sin involved. It was just preference. And Apollos declining was just a matter of timing. It's not the right time for me to go. I will go when the, amount is, when the time is right. These, these are some truths regarding spiritual leaders, and it teaches us. We think about Timothy, and we think about Apollos, and the way Paul dealt with these. We are to appoint, we are to affirm, and we are to respect young leaders in the Lord's work. It is our responsibility to appoint young leaders. It is our responsibility to affirm them. It is our responsibility to respect them when they are doing the Lord's work. One of the things that we saw this week in Vacation Bible School that is a, a wonderful trend that I love seeing at Valley Bible Church. For years we have sought to be a multi-generational church, but it's not enough just to have people with gray hair and babies and everybody in between, but we are to be an intergenerational church. And one of the things that I saw this week with Vacation Bible School is we have many um, many very, very godly, skilled women in the church who have taught for decades. Vacation Bible school, Sunday school, they've been doing this for decades. They took a step back. And we had young leaders, and the, 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 the older leaders were in a support role. They, that there's a new generation of leaders coming up at Valley Bible Church. There's a new generation of young men and women who are coming up. And for, for those of us who are older, for those of you who were older, and I applaud those, those uh, elder saints, they're not that old, but they're experienced, who took a step back and they, they followed the lead of younger leaders. And they affirmed them. And they followed them. And they respected that leadership. And we are to be doing the same thing throughout Valley Bible Church at all time. This men's leadership initiative that we've started, um, we are looking for men to grow up in the Lord and to appoint them as leaders. To be a, an elder at Valley Bible Church does not mean that you have to be a pastor who's on the staff. It does not mean that you have to be as old as me. Yeah. <laughs> Because some young men might think, well, all of our elders are old guys, so there's no hope for me to ever be a, uh, an elder. When I got out of high school, I messed around for a few years, went to college for four years, went to seminary for four years. My first church, I was 30 years old. It's still young. I, I very well could have been 28 years old or younger. In fact, there are many young men out in the, in the church, out in, in the mission field that have gone to Bible college for four years and they are serving as pastors in their mid-twenties. Ministry and qualifications are irrespective of age. Yes, the word elder means someone who has some age under their, under their belt, but it doesn't mean you have to be an old man to be an elder. 
And we are looking for some of you young men to grow up to be deacons, to grow up to be elders, to be leaders in the church. And that's what our leadership initiative is all about. Growing up young men to appoint them, to affirm them, and to respect them. We have the same thing with some of our elder ladies. We have a Titus II ministry. We have our women's ministry. And many of those ladies, it's time for them to pass on the torch and the, and the baton to the next generation. And we need to always be working upon that because that's the way of the Scripture. Otherwise, how will we, dis- how will we um, survive for 10 years or 15 years or 100 years? That's how we will survive. The second thing is that we are to affirm and respect mature leaders who are doing the Lord's work. Apollos was already doing the Lord's work, and he was a peer of, of Paul's. Timothy was a subordinate. Apollos was a peer. We value shared ministry and mutuality and interdependence. That is what we are all about at Valley Bible Church. We share the load as pastors. We share the load as elders. We share the load as deacons. I cannot do it alone. None of us can. Paul was not out there walking around by himself from city to city. He always had an entourage with him. He always had men that he was training. And he always had men who were up and coming and men who were peers And at the same time, at Valley Bible Church, we have some very super gifted and godly men, some of you in this room. You are ministering now, and we want to share that ministry with you. That is what leadership in the church is all about, and that's what we will be about as well. So Paul shares this truth about spiritual leadership. But then what we see in verses 13 through 14 comes down to it. Truth for the troubled church. Truth for the troubled church. Now, we're not closing it. This is not his final word. We'll see more next week. But Paul is going to talk about truth for the troubled church. He's going to give five exhortations, five imperatives. They come boom, 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 boom. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. Boom, 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 boom. They come just in, in rapidity. Uh, Paul is, is, uh, does this in many of his letters. Read the end of Romans. Read the end of 1 Thessalonians especially. And he often does this with these short exhortations, these imperatives. And many of these can be applied to everything that he has said in the book so far. And the first one is this. Be vigilant. Be vigilant in verse 13. Our text says, be on the alert. The word means to be watchful. Be awake. Open your eyes and stay that way. It's it's an imperative that means keep being alert. Keep being watchful. Keep being vigilant. Any of you who have been in the military or trained in, uh, you know, in military, maybe even in um, uh, some other uh, types of uh, disciplines, something called situational awareness, being aware of the situation around you, having your head on a swivel all the time, looking around you, being aware of your circumstances and what's going on around you. We have to practice spiritual situational awareness, being aware of what God is doing about us, having our head on a swivel. What is going on? What is God doing? We need to be on the alert. And when Paul says this, he assumes that there is some danger 
Otherwise, why be alert? Why be vigilant? Why be watchful? There is, there is something that we need to watch out for. They were to be alert. If you look back on all that Paul has said, they were to, to be alert about factions and divisions. They were to be alert about worldly philosophies. Because he said, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us it is the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the ages. Don't be taken by those philosophies. He said, be alert about squabbles between believers taking one another to court. Be alert about sexual sin in your midst. You can't, you can't just take it for granted. It has to be taken care of. Be alert about marriage problems. And he talked about that. Be alert about idolatry because it's always lurking there. Be alert about unity in the church and the worship services. Unity between men and women and the genders because we are equal. Unity regarding economic backgrounds and communion because they were discounting one another, the haves and the have-nots. We don't want to fall into that. Be alert about your temptation to sin. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Be alert about the misuse of spiritual gifts. Be alert and watchful about the return of Christ. These are all the things that Paul has said in the book. And so when he says, be vigilant, be alert, be watchful, he's talking about all of these things. The second, oh, this, here's what I want you to learn from this. Because 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, same word, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Be on the alert. Watch out because there's danger. There is someone seeking your demise. There was someone plotting our demise. He has schemes and he's always working to trip us up and to destroy us. Be on the alert. So for us, practice everyday spiritual awareness. Every day. Don't go a day without evaluating your life, living an examined life. Pay attention spiritually to what is happening around you. What's happening in your life? What is God doing? This week, the, uh, the theme for VBS was twists and turns. Like a game, it was a game board theme, and sometimes, you know, like shoots and ladders and different things, there are, there are twists and turns in, in, in all sorts of games. But all through that, in life, those twists and turns, we need to be aware that God is leading us. Every step of the way in our finances, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our ministry, we are spiritually aware every single day we're paying attention. What's happening in your family? What is happening with your children? Why are they acting this way? What is the spiritual consequences of this? What's happening in our community spiritually? We, think, we see things going a certain direction and we just get angry and frustrated. What is happening spiritually? Where does that lead us? Where does that direct us? It directs us to be vigilant, to be watchful. To include God in our plans. What's happening in our nation? The same thing. We just want to give up. We want to hide in a hole. 
What is God doing? God is not up there going, yeah, I'm with you guys. I don't get it either. No. He knows what is going on, and we are included spiritually. So we are to be watchful, and we are to be on board with what God is doing. The second imperative that he gives to them is to be faithful. Be faithful. He says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Now, he said something similar to this back in chapter 15, verse 1, where he said, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand. There he said, you stand in the gospel. Different word for stand than here in our passage today. And there he said to stand in the gospel. And here he says, stand firm in the faith. The faith is not just the gospel. It includes the gospel, but it is the faith once delivered. All the body of truth that has been given to us through Christ and the apostles. All the living doctrine of the faith. The truths that were handed down to us. We are to stand firm in the faith. Again, specifically for the Corinthians, some of that truth was the gospel, the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ, the doctrine of the resurrection of believers, the doctrine of the return of Christ. Stand firm in these things. And for us, we are to stand firm in all of the truths of the Bible, of systematic and biblical theology. The faith once delivered. We are to stand firm in it. That doesn't mean just hold on to it. I want you to, to, this is what I want to tell you. Diligently study the Bible and theology, but always ask the question, so what? So what? We're good at uh, filling our notebooks. We're good at taking notes. We're good at filling our heads with lots of words and lots of truths. And what do we do with those notebooks and those notes? They, they go on a shelf somewhere. We are to hide God's word and his truth in our, in our hearts. We should renew our minds with the truth. It should be implanted in our hearts. It is to be lived. It is not just to be known. The so what, when you, when you study theology and you study the return of Christ and, oh, okay, well, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture and I believe that Christ is coming back and I believe in the resurrection of the dead. So what? Big whoop, right? A lot of people believe that. What do you do with it? How does that change your life? What difference does it make? In the way you live in this world, everything that you study. Again, as a Bible church, we're great at studying theology and and filling up our heads and notebooks. But what do we do with that truth? We're oftentimes like the man. In James 1, we look at the Word of God and it's like a, a mirror. And we go, oh yeah, I see what my life is like. And then we put it down and we go out the door and we forget what we are like. Because we're hearers of the Word and we're not doers of the word. We are to be to stand firm in the faith. We are to be faithful. It is not enough to know things. Knowledge is important, but we are to become something. We are to become faithful. And how do you become faithful? By being faithful over time. 
Faithfulness is something that we do over time. One-time obedience is not faithfulness. Once in a while, obedience is not faithfulness. We do not become faithful until we, we demonstrate faithfulness over a period of time by repeatedly doing what God says and following his word and being changed by his word so that we are different because of his word and we are more like Christ. Then we can say we are faithful. We are standing firm in the faith. The third exhortation that he gives to the Corinthians and to us is this. Be mature. Be mature. He says something very interesting here. He says, act like men. Okay, ladies, I want you to act like men. He's not talking about women acting like men. We've got enough of that going on. And he's not talking about women becoming men. The noun for man, literally, this is, I'm not making this up, the standard Greek lexicon, this is uh, the, 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 the noun for man, Greek word, the, the entry says this, an adult human male. That's what a man is, an adult human male. So that's the noun. This word where it says act like men, it's one word, which is the verb of the word man. So the noun man, be a man. Be the man. Be a man. You are a man already, men. So what he's talking about is, is not just becoming something. He's not telling to the women, the women in, the, in the church of Corinth, you need to become a man. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Let me, let me just talk, give you some examples. In chapter 3, he builds up to this, by the way, throughout the entire book. Chapter 3, verse 1, he said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. In chapter 13, verse 11, you remember this not long ago, he said, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child, when I became a man, the noun form of the verb we're looking at, when I became a man, I did away with childish things. Chapter 14, verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. All throughout the book, Paul is saying, you guys need to grow up. You need to be mature. You need to grow up. You need to stop thinking like kids. You need to stop acting like kids. And he finally gets here and he says, grow up. Be a man. Be mature. It applies to the men as well as to the women. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need once again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It's not just knowing, but it is doing, isn't it? It's being firm in the faith. It is being mature. My exhortation to you is this. Decide that now is the time for you to move on to maturity. Now is the time. 
not next week, not five more years, not till you have more notebooks filled out, not till you take more, more sermon notes, not till you read more books, not till you have your theology all straight. Now is the time to move on to maturity. The time is now. It's time to put aside the sin patterns of your life, selfishness and lust and gossip and those things that hold you back. It is time to put aside the excuses, and I have heard it for so many, many years. Well, you know, I haven't been a Christian for that long, so, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not really ready to, to do any leadership stuff. I've only been a Christian for 38 years. Or I don't know that much. You know more than you think you know. You know more than you think you know because you're giving me an excuse and a theological excuse, but um, that's one of the excuses. I just don't know that much, and it's not time. By the way, back when, I, when Christians say, look, I haven't been a Christian that long. How long had Timothy been a Christian, do you think, before Paul put him into service? He may have been in his late teens, early 20s. And even by time he was a pastor in Ephesus and Paul wrote to him in 1 Timothy, he was still a young man. Men, grow up, be mature. And others say, one of the excuses is, I'm not gifted. Yes, you are. We've gone through that. You have been given a specific gift and ability by the Holy Spirit of God to work ministry in the body of Christ and in the world. You have a gift. So, yes, you are ready. You have been a Christian long enough. You know enough. You are gifted. The only thing holding you back is you. So now is the time, and I encourage you to make that decision. The fourth exhortation he gives to them, and I give to you this morning, is be strengthened. He says the word, the words, be strong. And literally it is be strengthened. Become strong. Become strong and stay strong. Be strengthened by all that God provides. The only lasting strength that we have is God's strength. He's not, telling, he's not telling the Corinthians, you need to gut it up. You need to be strong in yourself. You need to go to the gym and work out. You need to memorize more. You need to study more. You need to discipline yourself. All those things are true. But he's not saying trust in those things. We are never to trust in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own knowledge. Our strength always in, is in the Lord. As it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He uses three words in one sentence to talk about God's strength. We are strengthened by his strength. It always comes from him. It always means reliance upon his power and his strength and never reliance upon our, ours because when we rely upon our own power and our own strength, that's all you get. There is no reward. And there's no power in it. There's no real power in it. Yeah, you can, you can fake it. We can impress people with our knowledge and, and our energy and all of those things, but if it is not in the strength of the Lord, it will not last. So all that we do must be in the strength of his might. 
A church is only as strong as its leaders. So all those of us who are leaders, we all need to be strong. And even in this room, many of you are leaders in many, many ways. I am encouraging you to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And a church is only as strong as its members. If we're a bunch of weaklings and spiritual weaklings, then we will be a spiritually weak church. But we're not. We think better of you and of our members. We are strong. My encouragement is with Paul, continue to be strengthened. Continue to be strong in the Lord. A marriage is only as strong as the two who have been made one flesh. You want your marriage to be strong? You both have to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. A family is only as strong as the father. And a, a family is only as strong as the mother. The mother and the father together are strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ. The family is strengthened as well. And this is a time in which we live for all of us to be strong in the Lord. I don't need to tell you that we live in perilous times. We do, don't we? It takes courage to be a strong Christian in your family. It takes courage and strength to be a strong Christian in your neighborhood. It takes courage and strength to be a, a strong Christian where you work, where you go to school, where we live in our community. It used to be that we, we could give an application to people who are out in the workplace. We, we would say to them, you know what, you should be a, a, a good employee. You should be honest. You should punch in on time. Don't cheat. Don't pilfer. Be kind. Be responsible. Be a good testimony for the Lord and look for opportunities to share your faith. Now, being a good testimony of Christ might get you fired. Right? Times have changed in a few short years. You might be fired for being a good Christian, a strong Christian. That's where you will need the strength to stand up. Because they might force you to use certain pronouns that you do not believe. To assent to everything that is woke. To wearing the, the rainbow sticker during Pride Month for your company. And you might say, sorry, I can't do that. And you might lose your job. But you must be strong because it's not easy to live in these perilous times. It wasn't easy for them in, in Corinth. And as things went on in the early church, persecution became greater and greater and greater. And they knew then what we are beginning to know now, that living in this world needs strength on the part of his people. The final exhortation that he gives to them is a fantastic one. It is to be loving. Verse 14, he says, Let all that you do be done in love. Everything that you do, let it be done in love. Not just some things, not a few things, but everything that you do must be done in love. Remember, Paul devoted an entire chapter to love. And here he reprises that theme once again as the most important element of our life and our ministry. In fact, he's not done. We'll see next week he ends the book on love again. Paul is hammering this home. This is a truth that we must not forget. 
Love is to govern all the things that he just said, the previous four. Love should govern our alertness, our watchfulness. Love should govern our standing firm. It's not just um, standing firm, but we do that in love. Love should uh, govern our maturity in Christ. Love should govern our strength. We're not to just be strong with an attitude of strength and superiority or arrogance. I'm strong in the Lord. No, it must be governed by love itself. And love is seen in humility. And love is seen in attitude. It's seen in the expression on our face. It is seen the way that we put others before ourselves. In all of these things, to be strong, to be faithful, to be vigilant, to be mature, the attitude of love must govern everything that we do. Truth for the troubled church. We've been talking about it for a year and a half. And we see this morning that we have this idea of love being uh, above all. Love is applied theology. Hammering home that again. I said it earlier in some ways. Love is our theology applied. All that we do, all that we know is worthless without love. All the notebooks, all the notes, all the head knowledge means nothing. All that we do, all that we know without love, we saw that in chapter 3, counts for nothing. Love is all about attitude. It's all about the manner in which we treat other people. It's all about humility. It's all about putting others before ourselves as Christ did himself. Let all that you do be done in love. So our conclusion this morning is, again, truth to the troubled church. But as we look back through um, the entire book, two exhortations stand out to me because they're very similar. And I want us to latch hold of them. Remember back in chapter 10, he said this, whether then you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of Christ. And now he says, in 1614, let all that you do be done in Christ. Again, it was just a mere minutes ago that they heard him say in the reading of the book, the letter, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And now they hear him say, let all that you do be done in love. You cannot separate them. If we do it in love, it will bring glory to God. If we're seeking the glory of God, we will do it in love. You cannot bifurcate them. You cannot separate them. One goes without, with the other. So we are to seek the glory of God in all that we do by loving one another and by doing everything that we do in love. All to God's glory through the service of others. I'd like to ask our music, our worship team to come up. And as I pray, we're going to sing our closing song. Father, we thank you for the exhortations this morning. May we find truth for the troubled church, for our own troubles at our own church, because we are not perfect yet. But help us to be vigilant to the dangers around us. Pray that we would be faithful and that we would stand firm in the faith once, once delivered, that we would study the Bible, but we would also apply it. Help us to be mature.
Help us to grow up in the faith. Help us to not make excuses, but help us to decide now is the time to move on to maturity. And may we be strong in the, in the Lord and in the strength of his might, that we would be a strong church with strong families and strong marriages. Above all, we pray that we'd bring glory to you as we love one another and we put one another first, that our love would be born from your love for us. We thank you, Father, that we are to love you with all of our heart and our mind and our soul, and we are to love one another as ourselves. For Christ said, as he has loved us, so are we to love one another. In your precious name we pray, amen.